Okay, so Midnight Mass, how do you want to do this? One, two, five, nine! Father, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life and set-apart ministry. Each week, we draw on our experiences and challenges as current and former pastors to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. Midnight Mass. So uh, so that I don't fly off the, the, the rails like Midnight Mass, um, <laughs> I would like to do it uh, uh, somewhat structurally, and I'd like to start with what we liked about Midnight Mass, because there are things that I liked about it, and I don't want to deny that. Um, but, but Joe, what, what are, let's say we'll, we'll, we'll restrict it. Let's say two to three things that you really liked about Midnight Mass. I, it's a beautiful show. Sure. Um, like all of the other Mike Flanagan shows, like it's got, it's got that very specific vibe, but it's a vibe that I'm here for of mm-hmm. like dark, but also like tragically beautiful. There's a lot of yes. tragically beautiful things in it. Um, so yeah, like the cinematography is great. Um, the Foley work is amazing and astounding and stands out for how good it is. It's really well scored. Like everything that went into making it, the filmmaking of it is, it's a really beautiful show. Even when the show is the most, like the plot has just gone off the rails and why are these things happening? That still manages to have these really beautiful stirring moments. And like, I like that. I'm a junkie for that. So that was, that's one. Um, I honestly love the consistency of the character of Bev. Like, sure, it would be very. It would have been easy to give Bev some sort of like redemption arc, but but she is honestly like, out of all of the characters in Midnight Mass, she is the character that fits most in a horror story, like with the like just absolute despair at the end of the day and just consistently evil <laughs> throughout. <laughs> And like not even trying to hide it. So I I was here for that. Um, and what can be my third thing? There are a lot of moments that I that I liked um throughout it. Like there there just there were occasionally like really great lines or um really interesting like character things that I wish we would have like dug a little more into. Um but maybe what I'll say is that um, one of those one of those areas that we could have really investigated but didn't um, was the effect that like releasing people from long term physical pain has on people's yes. emotional well being. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit as, yes, as we messaged back and forth. But uh, it just as somebody who grew up with a a father with an autoimmune disease that like left him in constant pain, still in constant pain and pain management for years and years, like physical pain just tears at you and drags you down. And, um, and you can see like in the scene where, uh, the, the two Flynn parents are dancing together mm-hmm. uh, cause like his back finally doesn't hurt and they can dance. Like, it's just this beautiful moment of like, right. Like there is a real freedom when you were like, there's a reason why Jesus heals in his miracles and why the body is such an important part of Christianity is that like, it affects you, affects everything, especially when your body's in pain. Um, so I liked the way that that was depicted every time it came up. 
So those are my two to three. That's that's where I'll start. I like that. No, I I especially do like your last point when you made that comment to me. I was like, yep, I I had not thought of it that way, but but I think you're right. I think that's a an aspect of the show that uh, had a lot of untapped potential mm-hmm. to kind of to kind of really demonstrate some some good character work and some good um, sort of emotional work. That was just that Flanagan just didn't he didn't go down that road, but you should have. I think you're right. Um, I agree with all of those. I would want to add um, that I think I think in general, like all Mike Flanagan things, I think the acting is great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think there are some that were a little better than others. I think Father Paul, um, I think he really, really does a good job with a complex character. Yeah. And um, I think that, and I mentioned this on our episode last week, like, I think that everybody who who's come back from at least Bly Manor um, has come back uh, in better roles, with the exception of Ravi. And, mm-hmm. and it's not that Ravi's role is a bad role. It's not that the sheriff is a bad, is a bad character. Um, it's just that I don't think he's as rich as his character in Blind Manor, but like, I think everybody else comes back, um, in, in better roles and, and more, more interesting and compelling, uh, characters. And I think that's a really good thing. I also mentioned this, but I'll highlight it again. I think that even though I think Blind Manor is a more consistent show and is a more charming show. Mm-hmm. I think that the highs of Midnight Mass are a little higher than Bly Manor's highs. So what what would you give me a, a scene that is a high for you? I think that the um, episode three where Father Paul is in confession, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I think is a a well paced, really good episode. And, and I think that Bly Manor doesn't really have a comparable episode until episode five when we learn about um, Hannah. Hannah, that's right. When you learn about Hannah Gross, when we, when we, learn, when we learn that she is uh, dead. Right. That scene is, that, that episode is probably comparable to, to like a really, you know, to like uh, uh, the, uh, an episode three, right? But I think that Midnight Mass has a few more episodes like that than Bly Manor. Bly Manor really only has that one episode where where it's like, wow, this is an incredible episode. All the other episodes are good. They're fine. Right. But but like that episode five where you learn about Hannah's and and Hannah's uh, death and, and her jumping through her memories. Like that's such an incredible episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but Midnight Mass has 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 a few episodes that are like that where it's like wow we're really we're really thinking like the performances are really good the the emotion is really high the shot is really good Mm -hmm. uh episode three is like that the episode where riley becomes a vampire and has to have like different you know has to learn about stuff uh from father paul i think is a similar episode to that like Mm -hmm. it's it's an intense high emotional moment yeah yeah that's what I mean by that, where the highs are a little higher than, than Blind Manor. It's not as consistent as Blind Manor, but the highs, I think, are a little higher. And I think that's good. Yeah, I think that's true. I also think that um, because Blind Manor is this kind of uh, 
gothic romance that it's focused around like the relationship between miss jessel and uh spooky man peter quint peter quint um or like the affair with the with the uncle and the mom and all this kind of stuff like that like the thing that's turning the plot there is is this romantic relationship um I like I think that's why like there's not as much to draw out of Bly Manor maybe in terms of like that that high emotional drama um uh, but like it manages to do it with Hannah but like there's not that for the other characters because like they're all just basically there to like get in each other's pants you know like there's not there's not that kind of depth to it um but I think they're like they're going after a bigger dynamic in Midnight Mass. And so you do get a lot more interesting character interactions that aren't based around romance at all. Um, which is why, uh, I don't know if we're ready to transition to the things that we don't like. Yes. But uh, that's why I really didn't like the little moment where Father Paul, I guess Father John, now they finally have admitted that he is who he is. And when he sits down with the doctor's mom and is like, you know, like I would have... Uh, I would have like taken off my collar and gone to go be with you. And and he's like, I did this all for you. I did this so that we could have a family. And he's not, he's not saying it in that frantic way that I just said it. He's just kind of like admitting to himself, like, you know, I lied to myself about my motivations for doing this. What I really wanted was a family. Um, right. And I think there's, there's a way to do that and have it be kind of, like a powerful thing but that's not that's not really what we did like we were already well into the revolution has come and bev is gonna burn down the entire island but like the idea that like oh what his motivation really was that he wanted a wife and wanted a family and he couldn't do that because of the priesthood like that's um it would have been more meaningful like if you had taken that speech away or even just given us like parts of that speech. Cause I think the doctor's mom's response where she's like, well, I wasn't going to ruin four lives for, the, for us. Like I wasn't going to uproot everything just because we had this. Um, like, I think that that's a very practical and powerful and like straightforward take. Like I ended up really liking that character. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that, that speech there fell really flat to me and it would have been more meaningful if it had just been him like taking off his collar on the bridge um, as the sunlight comes. Like that was a great moment. I thought at the end, but this other one where it's like, well, my sneaky motivation the whole way around was that I really wanted to just be with you like that. I, the way that was drawn out and the way that that was written and the way that like that was the big motivation for all of this, that didn't strike me as really true with everything that happened before it. Um, So I didn't love that. And again, it's as we talked about last episode, I'm not really interested in a lot of romantic plots unless it's really done for character. And that didn't really seem to be in character for this, for the the priest. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, and so like that, that what you just described is a symptom of what I think is my, my general problem with it. Like I have a lot of nitpicky. That's not really, I don't really think they're nitpicky. Like I have a lot of individual things that I, in the end do not like about this show um which we can talk about but like i think my i think what you've described is a symptom of the overall problem i have which is by the last two episodes this show is reduced to a morality play right and and any kind of complex 
tender uh, attention to characters and plot is thrown out the window in favor of stock character archetypes. Yes. Um, And, and, uh, and that's why it feels so heavy handed at the end, because suddenly now the things that drove characters or the things that made people who they were are, are sort of shed away purely to make Mike Flanagan's point. Um, and that is not how the other things worked. That's not how Hill House or Bly Manor worked. Hill House, right. And that's what bothers me about this, the show, like Hill House and Bly Manor are about things. Don't get me wrong. Like they're obviously about stuff, you know, <laughs> like Hill House is about grief and loss and trauma and family. Bly Manor is about memory and love and, and, and struggle and, and stuff like that. Like, yes, of course. Uh, and this show is about religion is bad. So uh, here's here's what I'm thinking right now with it, because I read that article of the the Vox piece, why I felt betrayed by Midnight Mass that yes. was written by an atheist. Um, and I, despite the fact that everybody was like, oh, lol, okay, from just the headline, I read the article. And this author's, like, main point is that, well, this isn't really horror, because what horror does um, is horror, like, looks at the terrible things of the world and lets them remain terrible. Like, there's not there's not a redemption, or if there is a redemption, it's, like, a small group of survivors. It is looking at, like, the existential problems that we face and affirming that they are existential, they are problems, and, like, in fact, the worst could happen. Um, and, like, and that's why I say that, like, Bev is the, the, like, the consistent character, horror character throughout it, is that, like, to her last breath, like, Bev is trying to be in control of things, be better than everybody else, and, like, be the one who makes it the, the furthest, you know, like, it, to the point that, like, on that beach, like, she's like, wait, there's still a way that, like, I can be the winner here. And it's also, like, a survival instinct, but it's, like, digging in the sand is probably not going to, like, help her make it through the day everybody else is like kind of at peace with the fact that they're going to die she's the only one who's like screaming her way through it like bev is the only horror character throughout all of it because mike flanagan doesn't really write horror he writes stories that have like horror elements and he is great at a, a jump scare and a good long pause and like building tension but he's not interested in like leaving that existential dread there. He's not interested in in kind of wrecking everything, right? That's why the, the end of Hill House is like with Luke recovering instead of Luke having just died. Right. So like there were a lot of points in that Vox article that were that were right that um but but she comes to the exact opposite conclusion that you do. She says, "Well, it's so heavy-handed in saying that Christianity is the solution to our problems." How how does she possibly come to that conclusion? Because all of the vampires are comforted. They're comforted by lies. That's the yeah. thing. That's it. Doesn't have to be pro-Christianity. That's not what bothers me. Is that it's a morality play and it's lazy. That's yeah. what bothers me about the show. The Father Paul has this speech to uh, uh, the doctor's mom 
like you said, where, where he says, oh, you know, what really is driving me is my love for you and our daughter and my desire to have a family. And you rightly are like, well, that's bullshit. Of course right. it's not. Yeah, Mike Flanagan does that to absolve the priest. That's the only reason he does that. The only reason he yeah. puts it in there is to is to see is to say, see, you can like the priest because he's not really religious. Right. <laughs> he's yeah. secretly not religious the whole time. That's why he's a good guy. Like like or like um like uh, uh the Flynn's become vampires and using the power of reason and self-control, they do not uh have they they can keep themselves from drinking blood and killing people unlike those dumb religious people who have no self-control when they become vampires they just eat whoever they see how does how does this person come to the conclusion that just because a bunch of vampires are singing um a, a hymn at the end of it that mike flanagan is making a positive claim about christianity they're all praying and singing to a to a god that that Mike Flanagan has already foreclosed is not real, right? Um, and and so like I I sit, which once again only bothers me because by the end it's a shitty morality play. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we get it. Religion is a vampire. We understand. Like it, you know, it, it like, oh, look at that. The vampires in an alb. Yes. Ooh. Priests are vampires. I mean, he he literally has Riley say that like the church is a tick that's sucking blood from a community. Yeah, exactly. And and like and it's okay that he believe that he doesn't believe in God. It's okay that all the vampires are are a part of a religious cult. If it was if it was about characters, if it was about things like um, what do people do at the end of their rope? How do people make meaning in a meaningless universe? What do you know? Then then you can have so many of those other elements. You can you can have you can have the idea that there is no God, that we do live in a meaningless universe. If people are portrayed tenderly mm -hmm. and with dignity and you can still say ultimately, I don't think religion is right, but what matters is that there are lots of ways that people can make meaning in a meaningless universe and good things can come from that. And maybe the tragedy behind the vampires is that in their attempt to make meaning in a meaningless universe, they have done it incorrectly because they have tried to make meaning by imposing meaning on the rest of the world. And I think what is frustrating to me the most is um because he because in the end this is just what he wants the show to be about he ends up um he ends up writing characters and writing situations in a way that that i i find make very little sense to me so like i think one way this whole show could have been improved even even if six and episode 6 and 7 stayed the same one way the show could have been improved to me is if the town had tangible economic benefits mm. from what the vampire and Father Paul were doing. If there were tangible economic benefits and the town was improving and lives were improving outside of these sort of health and physical things, then the character motivations of, say, the mayor and uh, the, the um, bearded guy would make more sense to me. Sturge. Sturge. Sturge, like short for Sturge. Sturgeon. That's right. Thank you. 
like mm-hmm. I think about that scene where uh, Joe dies, yes. and father and Father Paul incredibly creepily eats his brain. Well, not eating his brain, but like sucking the blood that's coming out of his head. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Very creepy shit. And then like Sturge and the mayor come into the parsonage, and they see dead Joe covered in blood, and Father Paul blood on his mouth, like huddled in a corner. These religious people are immediately cowed by Bev, who is who is the villain, and I get it, mm-hmm. uh, who says, don't you understand? This is a great, glorious test of God. Our theology tells us that we must bury Joe and totally hide this. No, bullshit. If there were real economic benefits, then this scene would make sense. Then Bev could be like, you listen to me. This town is in better shape than it's been in 50 years. Mr. Mayor, do you really want to ruin that? Sturge, do you want your business to fall apart again? Then fucking bury Joe, you know? <laughs> like Then right. then it makes sense. Then it's still not noble. I'm not saying it's noble. You know, these, these religious people are cast in a bad light still. But, like, it also would make sense to me. Like, because I already know that church people, when confronted with things like that, are not really swayed by complex theological arguments. No, they are not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which Bev attempts. Uh, and I'm like, guys, this is not, this is not going to work. Like, like, or, or uh, if you're not going to do economics, then like make it very clear that the only way these benefits, the physical benefits work is if you're in church every Sunday. And, right. and so say, Mr. Mayor, do you really want your daughter to, to not be able to walk again? No. Okay. Well then keep your mouth shut and bury Joe. Okay. And it's it, so, so because those rules aren't there, like Sturge and the mayor and the mayor's wife just sort of look, are immediately cast as um, dumb, gullible religious zealots. Yeah. But we know that's not, we know that's not how any of this works. You know, we, we know even Jim Jones, that's not even how Jim Jones worked. That's not how that's, which is what the, the, that, that's not how cults work. Like long grooming processes, other forms of social and economic pressure, like not people aren't just sort of immediately brought in by, by like tricks and are gullible in this way. That's yeah. So that that leads me to what is kind of at the what what is the underpinning flaw for me, uh, because the show in many ways wants to deal with theodicy and and mm-hmm. how we as humans deal with um, the fact that there is injustice in the world. But Mike Flanagan is not interested in. Sorry, I don't want to. But he is kind of like the author behind all this, so I'll, I'll lay it at his feet. Um, he. And one has no idea really how to deal with poverty. I mean, no. you think to Hill House and you think to Bly Manor, like these are these shows that are about like basically people who are in the middle class or up living in these fancy situations. Um, so he doesn't have an idea of like systemic lifelong poverty, like what would be happening on the island. And really the only reason this is set on an island is because they need to like self-contain it at the end, you know, it's just a plot device. Um, and, and that like, for all that there is this, like, like, like this poverty aesthetic to the island and things are falling apart. There's no actual knowledge of how people in poverty think and function. Right. 
And so like, that's, that's the big thing is that they're also like, there are multiple victims throughout the show that there's no interest in seeing the world from like the girl that Riley kills in the drunk driving accident at the very beginning. Of the- mm-hmm. And we see her like over and over and over again. And then at, like the end of his life, he sees her like whole, which how is that not the description of heaven that Aaron Theo Crane's character gives uh, earlier on about her like dead baby. Right. Like right. she's like, I'll get to see her healthy and whole. And then Riley sees the person he's harmed the most in this world, healthy and whole. Like it's anyway, I'll leave that there. But, like, you don't ever see anything from, like, what restitution would look like for her or restoration would look like for her family or, like, helping to mitigate the wrong that happened that, like, took her from this world other than Riley going to prison. And we don't, like, there's no conversation about what it would look like to deal actually with this. Like, it's just a horror thing that is existing out there, but we're not actually captivated by it. Mm -hmm. Or like Joe is somebody who clearly had a terrible life that drove him to drink and he made terrible decisions. And there's, and then we just kill him and forget about him. Like he's, he's just a, he's just a plot device the whole way through. Like, the show for a show that really wants to think about suffering and how we deal with suffering and how alleviation of suffering can lead us to do terrible things. The only suffering they're really concerned with is the suffering of aging. And that is such an upper class, middle class problem. Mm. I mean, like aging is difficult wherever you're at, but there are so many people in poverty that never get to the point of aging that like, that's not anybody's main concern, but that is the main concern of midnight mass. The main concern of midnight mass is we're getting older and there is nobody here to support us. Like it's, it is not concerned with the real like systemic issues that are happening outside of my back hurts. You know, which like, again, pain is a real thing, but like that, that's what really gets me with the show. And that's what gets me about like the Christian people who are talking about how this is something that's like giving us this great depiction of theology. I will grant you that like it gives you a really amazing depiction of a lifelong pastor in Father Paul. Like, yeah, yeah, there is he has such good instincts. And despite the fact that like he is has brought a vampire to his community because in his like delirium, he thought it was an angel. Like that's a weird thing. But other than that, he's got like killer instincts on who he needs to care for and who should be invited to the church and who's welcome in God's house. Like he's, he's got a lot, he's doing really great things. And like, yes, the show is like directly dealing with how do we, how do we deal when bad things happen? But it's not interested in the people that Jesus is actually interested in, which is the poor, despite ostensibly being a show about poverty. Like it just, he does not have, I I, I assume Mike Flanagan in writing this does not have the background that he needs to actually like really tackle this from a compassionate standpoint. And that's why it's a horror show. Like the horror elements are there to hide the fact that like, the theologizing does not actually meet the question. Right, right. I That's agree my with, rant about it. I agree with all that. And and I, I can't understand some of the comments on Twitter uh, and Facebook. There, there doesn't have to be any theology. 
I don't think it needs to be a Christian show. I not at all. That's not my problem. My my problem is in the end it's a show that has abandoned its characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um to in order to make a point. Um and and not just to make the point but to beat us over the head with the point which is this is just what happens when you are religious which, which i just find non it's just nonsensical it's just of course that's not what happens when you're religious you know like this is what happens when you know really bad things happen and we live you know and 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 pressure is on is everywhere and people are attempting to make meaning and everything falls apart and bad shit happens and and you have people who have no no compassion for one another. I think I think your your comments about the show does not deal compassionately with things is a good comment, precisely because Bev is the villain, right? And like, she has no compassion and for she anything. Is, exactly, and she has no compassion. And so, in the end, which is why I don't find the end uh, to be any great vindication of Christianity or religion or anything. I, I find right. it to be this bizarre, empty, nothing, you know? Oh, everybody realizes that, uh, being a vampire is bad actually. And well, they so burn the, everything down and it's bad. And it's bad. The, the author of the Vox article, her point was that, um, religion is, is only here to comfort people and everybody in the show is comforted by their religion. That, that is just absolutely bonkers to me. Yeah. So I, I read that and I was like, oh, so, so this person again is, is somebody who is an atheist because, uh, they left the, I'll, we'll link to the article. I'm not like saying anything scandalous about somebody that they haven't said themselves, but they left like a Southern Baptist church because they're, they're queer. And like, obviously like, yes, absolutely get like, go do something that protects you <laughs> from yes. the harm that has been done to you. I'm a thousand percent here for that. But religion is also not simply something that comforts people. I mean, that's, that has been, the the thing that we have struggled with through all of this pandemic and like essentially the thing that like ended ended my time at my churches is that like no i don't think that religion just comforts people i think it challenges us and calls us to care for one another and calls us into community and calls us to think deeply about who we are and and what our our purpose and goal is and none of that is necessarily comforting no and i and i think that with the characters that we find are the most dynamic throughout the show and the things that like make the most sense for the characters to do are the the uncomfortable acts and the ways that like their religion is not actually comforting them like when the doctor's mom walks out of the a good friday service mm -hmm. um and is like, that's not my church. That's not the man that I know. Despite the fact that like other people are walking out of that excited about miracles and like comforted by the fact that I guess they're we're in God's army now. The the thing that doesn't make sense in this is the all of the people who show up at this church and are weeping at the terrible preaching. <laughs> because I love it. It's miracles. it's easily the best part of it. What 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 shitty preaching? What shitty preaching? And um, how is anybody comforted by that? Like yeah. that's that. 
that's really unbelievable. There's nothing that's being said there that's actually inspiring. And we all know it. <laughs> or we should know it. Well, and I think it I think it once again, I think that's that that's there that way, probably for one of two reasons. Either Mike Flanagan isn't really sure exactly what goes on, um, <laughs> you know, in a sermon or uh, I think what's more likely is that this is really just supposed to demonstrate what Mike Flanagan thinks about religious people. Yeah, you know, I really do like and, and remember, I'm OK. I want to reiterate this. I am really all right with a show that is anti-religion. That's fine. None of that bothers me. What bothers me is is when uh, a show uh, uh, attempts to reduce characters into tropes. Yeah. Particularly when he has never done that before in what I've seen him do. You know, that's, that's, that's the main reason why Blind Manor isn't just boring. Because not a shit ton happens in Bly Manor. Right. You know, like we admit that. Like Bly Manor is not as good as Sill House. We know that. But the reason why Bly Manor is not boring is because all the characters are people. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they're written as people. And they have complex, interesting things that are going on within them as and as they navigate the world. And instead, in this show people are are just tropes by the end right mm-hmm. you know they're just they're just i think about the one guy who becomes a vampire sturge makes him a vampire this is at the end and bev's mm-hmm. like bev's like you know you're never in mass so you have to die and he's like i killed my family <laughs> and i'm like yeah he's he's terrible he becomes a vampire murders his family and this poor guy he wasn't religious and that's why he's being punished yeah, that that was a weird that was a weird moment. You know, for all the a lot of characters become less drawn out. It, the last episode really has some great Sturge moments. <laughs> We're yeah, like, yeah. he's been silent and like a blood bag for like the whole series, and then this last episode, Sturge really comes into his own. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. Well, I, I, what I love is like Bev. You know, the last episode, Bev has like that idea, right? He's like, what if we burn the whole fucking island down? And Serge gives her a look like, how will that help us? (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't seem like a great idea, Bev, but you're in charge. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. You know, let's go. You know, like like, I'm like, "Eh, that doesn't seem like that's going to make any sense at all. You know, but but we're going to do it anyway. I uh so let me tell you let me tell you what I think is the silliest part of Midnight Mass. I I just don't want to scream the show. I I think right. the silliest part of Midnight Mass is in episode 6, second to last episode. So after Riley bursts into flames and Theo Crane screams, uh we go to the doctor and and she explains what happens to the doctor and the doctor's like, "You know, it's interesting you say that. I believe there is a scientific explanation for what is happening." And and then she gives the scientific explanation, and I'm like, that can't possibly be correct. <laughs> you know, I didn't mind. So I don't mind when there's fake science because, like, whatever, this is fictional. And it actually really seems to be, like, in character. It's just that it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, like- that's all I'm saying. Like, I'm okay with fake science, too, in this. But, like, like the explanation in no way matches up with the rest of the narrative. 
Like, right. like it's like a special virus. There are some viruses, you know, that make you sensitive to UV rays, but also have restorative properties. Like bringing people back from the dead? Well, no. Yeah. Like if there had been some kind of like race for a cure kind of thing, like they, like you have in zombie movies, you know, right, like right. if it had been like, if we can just get to the place where we can develop an antidote, blah, blah, blah. Like then I would have been like, okay, but, but it's really just like that there are so many characters in this and like, I love a good ensemble thing, but there are so many characters that you never really get to draw out everybody's motivation as fully as you want to. Um, especially because we spend so much time on Riley, the most bored person. (laughs) (laughs) And I still don't know Riley's motivation. I still do not fully wrap my brain around it. Is he is trying to escape guilt. That seems to be the thing. You know, it's like, I didn't have any, Father Paul's like, I didn't have any guilt when I ate uh, Joe, when I ate him, when I drank his blood, I didn't have any guilt. Doesn't that make you mad? And he's like, yeah, I don't want any guilt. Riley, I don't know if I get it. Like, I, I'm so confused. That didn't strike me as real either. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) There's, yeah, it's, it's such, the show is so interesting because it sets up a bunch of characters that you're like, oh, like, I want to see what happens here. Like, ooh, there's some, like, complex situations here. Like, I, I am into this. Like, I'm, I know it's vampires. We've known it's vampires since, like, the kitten's necks were broken, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it, that's fine. And, and it's a dumb vampire thing. And, like, that's fine. This is how they all end up. But, like, it, it really does there are there are these moments where it's like that's a real person like here is a real scene between two real people like the the first couple aa meetings yeah yeah those are those are those are great scenes those are great scenes yeah like and and the scene between riley and joe when they're like walking home and talking about like how difficult it is to recover like or like the scenes between riley and aaron when they're talking about how weird it is to be back on this island they tried to escape like there there are so many things in it that feel very real and there are honestly like really deep uh religious people who like care deeply both about their faith and about other people like they, and there's Bev who like, honestly, every church has a Bev, right? Like sure. there are these really real characters that then do things that don't make sense for their character and for their motivation by the end. And it's just, it, yeah, it, I think because like there, like there are plot holes in Hill House, there are plot holes in Bly Manor and there are glaring plot holes in this. I don't really mind a plot hole. What I mind is what we've been saying that like the characters don't follow the motivation that has been set out for them and they don't make moves that make sense. Yeah. I, I just really can't get over the idea that like this church is going to fill up and people are just going to go along with things when they weren't there before. Yeah, people don't do that unless there are like systemic poverty things in and that and that's also something about the Bible that I think a lot of people are missing. Like the without like full restitution of the person and without repairing social systems, there's not like a lot of good news in the gospel, right? If it's just faith healing, that is prosperity gospel. And we all know how corrupt that is, you know? Mm-hmm. If, when it's just just like this small 
intangible benefit that doesn't do anything to like completely radically change your life. Like that's not the gospel. And like, there might be a flare up of like people, people coming to a place, but they're not going to follow you into the Lord's army and drink rat poison over that. Like no cult springs up this fast. (laughs) No, no. Well, and, and so, and once again, I think that the reason why, you know, it, it, everything needs to look this way. The reason why Mike Flanagan doesn't spend time on uh, trying to, how do I, how will I put it? Um, make an authentic cult, like make a cult look, make it look like people would in fact do this is because it gets away from the point he's trying to make. It's religion that's bad, right? It's, it's religion and and this nonsense, this lying nonsense, that's bad. And religious people are taken in by this, and that's bad. Um, when really, the, when really we know that, like you said, there there is all of these other factors and elements that that would prompt somebody either to listen or join this thing, or or would would be you know people would be uh it would be better, like the story would be stronger and better. Like if we talked about the economic development or, or the systemic poverty or whatever, that's just not on his radar because it doesn't serve the, it doesn't serve the, the, the sort of morality play purpose of it. You can't do it. Yeah. I, so I think that I, like, I think in other, in other episodes of like real Christianity, when we've analyzed these things, we talked about like, how would you fix it? And we've talked a little bit about like small ways that, that you would fix midnight mass but i think a really like a fundamental way to fix it if we're not going to actually deal with poverty um which i i don't know that like we're capable of doing in a limited netflix series if we were to uh, focus instead like really focus on the priest and his complicated motivations for bringing a vampire back (laughs) to his island village (laughs) right like like if we could actually and and have it not be the cop out of I secretly wanted my family, but right. like really delve into like the decision behind I as a person who have like made this community's wins my wins and made this community's pain my pain over the course of my entire life, I now see a solution for the hate the tragedy that happened in my congregation and i want to be able to heal this child who can't walk anymore forget like the inherent ableism in literally every instant of this show and the like vague transphobia that happens when they talk about pregnant people oh they're usually women like yeah that was kind of a wacky i i remember being jarred by that too frankly that kind of weird line it was just it's a line that doesn't need to be there you know yeah like it doesn't serve a purpose it's just this weird line yeah you're right yeah, and like unless you're trying to show that like even the people who got out of this area are are still like vaguely conservative in ways. I like but I don't know. Like it just seems like that's just a really revealing line. But I could be wrong. Um but yeah, like if if you could really hammer home that like this person that that, that the priest really wants to care for his people and has seen that like 
there's no help coming from any other quarter and instead has gone into this kind of like delusional frenzied state where he doesn't recognize a literal vampire is a vampire, a bit thinks it's an angel of the Lord because it's got wings. Like, like that to me is the biggest, not the biggest, but it's a big gap in the show. Like, I understand that the man had dementia and was wandering around and basically died. Right. right. Like, but not I when he got that. the vampire blood. You know, well, yeah, like, like, I can understand, like you said, like, I can understand him thinking it's an angel when he shows up, but like when he comes to and looks at him, he's like, you don't seem like an angel anymore. You seem more like a vampire. <laughs> and maybe I should run away. Yeah. Like I, if, if we could really delve into and work with, I, because I could really see like, honest, honestly, I could see somebody being like, this is the way we get saved. And like, yeah, yeah, there are compromises that we make along the way. And like, there is sometimes a terrible price, but like, this is the only help that's coming to us. This must be from the Lord. Like if we actually played around with that more or or made it more central. So like, that was the real question that we were dealing with. The question of like, how far will you go to help the people that you care about? That's fascinating. There's a lot to do there. And you can still have a critique of people who are willing to use terrible evil forces for personal gain as Bev does. Like you can still critique the way that like the church can be abusive of power. That's all fine. You can do a ton of that. Um, And you can do it through the vehicle of like this priest who's wrestling with this, but like make that the central question, make that like, kind of the if you're going to reveal in episode three that this is the priest who has been there all these years but suddenly young like if you're going to reveal the big bad that early you now have the rest of the time to like really wrestle with this motivation in a much more concrete way than what actually happens and then you can see the impact of this one person's decision on everybody else in the island like there there's a way to have done it (laughs) that is clearer and more concise and still makes a point but but doesn't feel as as jumbled as a lot of this feels right i agree with that if you're not going to do that then set it on like a connecticut island an island outside of like a a hoity-toity place and have it not be impoverished folks but have it be you know gullible upper middle class folks on an island yeah, let's be um, a little bit more realistic to life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, people who really are afraid to get older, you know, and are mm-hmm. afraid to, you know, that they'll lose out on all the stuff that they have. Like, do that because this this show falls into the tax the churches mm. and fails to see um, that part of the reason, part of the reason why why so many churches in this country are do the really bad things they do or set up the way they are is because of a network of, of, of church industry that dictates how they're supposed to be or, or um, informs them in these really bad practices. I think about the Mars Hill podcast, right? Like Mm. who are the real church villains? Well, it's true. Anybody can be hurt by church in any capacity and that, and I'm not trying to, deny that or or sweep, sweep that aside the the church villains are the mega churches guys like <laughs> those those are the villains like those are the villains that are doing 
quantitatively and qualitatively the, the most harm to the planet, to, you know, the most people that, that are creating these, these like really toxic and awful places and who then set the stage for toxic and awful churches everywhere. Right. They, they create curriculum, leadership structure, like, like those are the, those are the churches that you should be attacking. And so the idea, the idea that a, that a small country Catholic church whose primary job for 120 years is to serve 120 people by baptizing them, marrying them, and burying them. To say that they're the villains is a little weird. I'm not yeah. saying they can't be the villains. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that they're, they've got, they, they're, they're not able to see certain things that I think are, are, are really present in a lot of small uh, community churches, which is that we've talked about this on the podcast. For many folks, small community churches are the only property that they have access to, mm-hmm. that they're lifelines to food and shelter and, and, and community. And so to say that to, to, to cast this little church as the site of a cult is, is demonstrates a perspective that I think is totally flawed. Mm-hmm. That's not where cults are formed. Cults aren't formed in little community towns where you just got this little tiny church. Like that's not where cults are formed. Cult, you know, that that's not where the most evil happens. And and so like there's there's these things that like you can you can adjust you can fix if you want to make this an uh, a, an anti religion thing don't attack the religion of the poor get think about who gets off scot free in this respectable church gets off scot free in this hmm. you know uh, uh, upper class religion gets gets left think about think about the religious people in the show that are not the villains. The sheriff is is a religious person who's not the villain. Now, part of that is because Mike Flanagan doesn't want to anger the Muslim community. I, yeah, so I I don't want I don't want to go down that route. But I, but what really frustrates me is I find that whole plot with the sheriff to be extra. It like, is extra. Uh, so let let me just finish my thought because I I, I want to make sure folks know what I mean. Like like. Think of the sheriff as a character, where he comes from, what his background is. He's not a his he's not a a, a kind of a an impoverished country religious person. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of his class now. That that's kind of right. my what I'm trying to get at. Like the sheriff shows up as an educated, um, more worldly person, more enlightened person. And, and his expression of religion is not what is the problem. A Mark Driscoll from Mars Hill might not be considered, uh, isn't implicated in this show. You know, what's implicated is, as we've been talking about, the religion of the poor. That's not only tacky, it's a little ridiculous. Like, like we, that, that's just not how any of this stuff works. Why not attack? religion that withholds millions of dollars of tax money that can actually go to help people why not right. attack um uh uh 
the 700 club you know why right. not attack that why 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 is the locus of villainy happening in a church that if this was real life would be a place where people go for uh maybe weekly food mm-hmm. or people go to uh um hear comforting words at their at their grandfather's funeral you know the those things don't happen at like a mars hill yeah or like or if you're gonna come after catholicism in particular like there are so many things to go after other than your local parish you know like go after covering up sex abuse scandals go after the fact that they participated in colonization and in residential schools and force a colonized worldview on indigenous peoples you know like there are there are real things to critique this goes back to what we talked about in the in the episode that dropped on monday when you focus on the kind of conspiracy things that are easy to knock down, you never get at the real problems that are actually hurting people. And that's, that's ultimately how I feel about the show is that like the critique that it has, like, yeah, absolutely. The problem of suffering is very real. The question of what actually happens after we die is very real. The, how we deal with, like great harm that is done to us and systematic poverty are all like really real questions that should cause us to to question any like milk toast version of christianity that we might be fed in church but to say that the solution the only real solution to all of these questions and doubts and 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 problems with the faith that we're presented maybe when we're younger is to then to create this kind of morality play situation where we say that there's nothing that happens after we die and there is no justice and to hope for that is ridiculous and means that you're a member of a cult like that's not it right that's not that is setting up a straw man and then knocking down your straw man that's not actually engaging with what people of faith really believe you know it's saying that like people of faith are these gullible people who are just going to follow along when really there is a long tradition of a lot of people struggling really deeply with it which is again why i get frustrated when people are like there's real theology in this when no they're just raising the questions that then lead to real good and important theology and just asking the question is a huge part of it but is not what you mean you know just asking the question of why suffering happens or how we deal with bad things is not constructive theology it's just asking the question it's the beginning of it but it's not the whole thing and and that's that's the weird thing about praising this as something that is inherently christian or brings up like or explains christian theology really well is that it doesn't it asks good questions of christian theology but then it answers them in a in an eighth from an atheist perspective which is fine but like this it's not christian theology that is a different type of theologizing and you need to say that when you mean that right let's transition to the end so before we before i ask the question would you recommend this show to to somebody and who would you recommend it to one thing i like about the show that makes that i find silly is that true to form so many of the um, atheist or anti-religion critiques of Christianity are are rarely um, what Christianity is. 
and they seem to be what what folks sort of imagine it to be or or maybe in a more honest way what they've experienced it as which i which i appreciate and and i i want to be more sensitive to this is one of the reasons why i like nietzsche right like that's been well documented on the podcast nietzsche's cool because nietzsche understood what christianity was you know nietzsche nietzsche hated christianity because of what it was he was like i hate christianity because i think poor people are disgusting (laughs) you know and i think that i hate christianity because it prioritizes weakness over strength and everybody knows that strength is better like i'm like cool nietzsche like like you got it like that's right you know like you're wrong but you're right at the same time and i think that's good like what i what i find silly about the show is that every time father paul preaches he promotes another heresy (laughs) (laughs) i'm like that is a heresy are you telling me that there isn't a single catholic you know person in here who can't raise their hand and be like father paul you seem to be talking about a heresy can you give a concrete example you taught me that 30 years ago when you taught when you taught me you know catechism Catechism. (laughs) it seems to be weird um can i give you a concrete example probably not i'd have to go back and rewatch it but i remember thinking as he was preaching i'm like that doesn't sound right or like as he was like talking through you know stuff in in the uh with riley in in aa meetings i'm like this is a great scene but I don't know about the theology on that. It seems a little weird. Yeah. That, so that, yeah, that, I, I think you're right. Um, I think that, that, that is the weird, that's the weirdness at the heart of Father Paul. Is that like, he, like, there are so many things where he is doing the good compassionate thing where he is on point theologically. Like I'm following where he's leading. I'm like, okay, I could see the motivation for this. And then he says something that is bananas and wrong. And I don't understand how somebody who's been a parish priest for all of his life would say that. (laughs) So I, yeah, there's like, the um the line of like the hand that dealt you suffering is the hand that will pick you back up like that that kind of idea of like god gives out suffering and then god dispenses the balm for the suffering i that does not seem to me like that is who we understand god to be especially like in catholicism where like god is light and in god there is no darkness at all you know like i don't know i yeah, yeah, I I get what you're saying. Yeah, there are, there are definite moments where he says something, and you're like, "What is this?" And like the whole and the God's army thing too. Like where where like he's building that up as a thing that we're all gonna follow forward and do, like that's not something that I hear a lot in like modern day Western American Catholicism. That doesn't seem like that's something that's like very Pentecostal or very mm. evangelical, but I don't know. Yeah. So, so why, why does this have to be Catholic? Well, cause he's, cause Flanagan's clearly Catholic and like, that's the background that he has to work from is, is what I am imagining in it. Like yeah. the, but he really wants to come after evangelicals is what You're I'm right. hearing from it. I fully buy this as a as something that's going after like evangelical cults. That's fine. But like going after like a small parish Catholic church. Yeah. Like you said, it just doesn't really fit. Yeah. It's just weird. It's just weird. Now, like 
having having Bev be there helps, but Bev could be anyone. Bev could right. be anyone at any in any church. You know, like I I don't know. Like I'm not saying that I'm not saying there aren't trad cath churches out there that are like this. You know, I'm not saying that. I just it's just it's it just seems to be such an odd pick. Like particularly, and maybe this is just because of what we know about Catholic priests. Particularly because we know about how how educated Catholic priests are, yeah. Like this, that it just is a weird thing. Like, why is he saying this? Or, or like, particularly we know, like, like if this whole island is so Catholic, like, like this shouldn't be happening. You know, it's not that it shouldn't be happening. It's it's like now we need even more explanation as to why it is happening. Right? Why is nobody contacting? the archdiocese right like like this girl starts walking call yeah that's a genuine miracle that's a miracle yeah like like uh, however if it was like a baptist church there's nobody to call anyway you know so like you just go great cool also there's already built-in theology and worldviews surrounding all of this it wouldn't be that hard we're being assaulted on all sides. Our way of life is being destroyed. This is this is their fault, not ours. You know, this is why we have to do X, Y, Z thing. I guess it would be too heavy handed against Trump. I I don't know. It's just I find it I find it odd. It, it's the 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 and once again, it's a little odd during the whole show, but it gets really bizarre by episode six. Yeah, you know when when we cross into buddy, everybody is a stock character that that you know is robbed of of the kind of richness of their character and and things like that. Yeah, and and I think that I, to like put a fine point on it again, we wouldn't be this this grouchy about the fact that the characters are done dirty if we had not had the expectations set the way they were set with Hill House, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like we we know that better storytelling can happen. We know that like like things that are drawn out of characters and and done in this really profound way can happen. And then we show up to this show with the expectation that we're going to do that. And then instead we get tropey and and preachy, and that's not that's not what we came here for. <laughs> but like that's I, like at the end of the day. So to like transition to like whether we would tell people to watch it or not. Um. Boy, like, I feel like this would make a good discussion group thing. Like, if everybody has watched it, like, like as a, like, if you were actually doing church with, like, not old people, but, like, people right. our age. I think that this would be a good thing to, like, sit down and be like, okay, what resonated with you in it? Like, what plot lines? Who did you identify with? What questions did this bring up for you? What it, like, and I think that you could really tease out um, a lot of the the issues that are swirling in our current like Christian religious milieu. Like I think that we could really, or even like doing this with kind of a questioning group of like people who are interested in the church, interested in, in figuring out in church community or in Jesus or in like theology and religion in general. Um, like watching this and being like, okay, what does this bring up for you? And how can we, how can we take the questions that the show raises and see how the show deals with it and see how there might be other ways to deal with it? Like, I think this could be a really, 
a fun tool to use for that. And like as a like something to like this would be great for like a campus ministry, right? To like sure. draw kids in and talk through it. I, and honestly, like I kind of want to rewatch it for myself just to like confirm like to to really think through these characters as they go through and really see like if my if these impressions that we have right now are really borne out by the show or not Hmm. so yeah so like it's it's one that like for all the all the frustrations that we have with it like i by the point in time this is what happens like when i read like salem's lot by stephen king or like anything with vampires the instant i'm like oh it's just vampires like now i'm I'm in like full camp mode and i'm not going to be scared by anything else because it's just vampires yeah exactly exactly it's just vampires so like and then it's a fun ride sure sure I think I would agree with you. I think like that would be an audience that I, I think there could be something good from that. You know, I, I just think there are better and more like, more like subtle. And because of that critical critiques of, of religion and, and, and cults and, you know, stuff like that. Like, like, I just think that, I think that the, the heavy handedness makes it for me uh difficult to watch again Mm. um because i just i just can't i just don't like it i don't like heavy-handedness i don't i i i knew it was vampires as well and then and then to have it sort of be all right the goal is now everybody is going to be a vampire um and we're going to be vampires by uh making kids drink rat poison which I do not like. Yeah. You know, like, like I find that to be um, Nick, when Nick and I, and Angie and I talked about it, Nick was like, boy, should have been a trigger warning a message on that show, on that episode, because, you know, we watch literal children eat, drink rat poison and then die. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And they're also not kids that we know and have grown to care about. Like when, when there's the rat poison in Hill House. Yeah. Like this, it's like this climactic moment. It is contained. It's kids that you have like seen and walked through all this with like, and it's a real horror moment. But then here it's a like, it's set dressing. Yeah. yeah, And I don't, I don't love that about it either. Yeah. I don't know who I would recommend this to. I mean, I think that you're right. I think it's, it's, it might be worth maybe doing on like as like a campus thing i think i think that's that's good but like i you know i sometimes think about stuff like this now in terms of like if i was like teaching a class and i mm. wouldn't know what i would have what i would do with this you know like like i if as somebody who reads some undergraduate work now it strikes me as a really undergraduate piece of work hmm you know what I mean? Like, like I would take points off for this. I, mm. I, I, I would, I would ask questions about it. You know, if I was grading it, right? Like, and, and and an undergrad like wrote a short story, write a short story about about religion and you know and violence. Here's here's the short story. Oh well, you know, you seem to be dealing with themes that, you know, what what is it about this religion that causes people to be violent? You know, why, why did, why did their religion make this happen? Like, can you articulate that for me? And, and the answer would be, well, because religious people are stupid. 
oh well that's a c right yeah that's not fully critically engaging yeah yeah like and once again like to put a pin in my in my problem like if it was religion becomes uh a way of making meaning in a world that that's falling apart around them religion gives them a sense of stability which which causes uh you know in, in an unstable world which causes them to pursue ends that are really really bad or religion is sort of a smokescreen because what's really happening is an economic revitalization that that they can't that they can't say no to like all of that is far more critical it's far more true to life it actually reflects the problem because i think that's my thing like this is a stereotype it's a trope that's made up that somewhere along the line somebody in our cultural imagination actually william cavanaugh has a book about this uh the myth of religious violence where he where he says religious violence is a myth it's made up there's no such thing as religious violence it's invented by the enlightenment as a sparring partner um that that this this category of religious fanaticism that somehow religion creates um in people uh, a kind of an anti-rational anti-knowledge anti-intellectualism anti-peace anti all of this that that enlightenment liberalism needs to temper and control in order to create a just and peaceful society like when we study religious movements that devolve into violence or that do bad things we discover that there is a consolation of factors that cause that to happen and 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 only one of those factors may be a religious perspective but most of the time those factors are things like economics power politics uh relationships you know uh, uh um, meaning all of that stuff and then it's kind of like when we say, well, with Mark Driscoll, right? Was it his theology that caused him to be abusive or was it or was power the, the culprit? Well, I don't know. If we take religion out of it, there are lots of people who are like Mark Driscoll that still abuse people. Mm-hmm. And so it's not so simple. And for Flanagan to make it this simple is is to get is to sort of live into a stereotype that is sort of invented. Yeah. Re- religion is inherently dangerous. Yeah, because of all those wars that were fought for religion or or all those times where religious people for purely religious reasons do really violent things. Yeah. Right. Right. We're we're given a very simplistic narrative of like the Hundred Years War or right. the Troubles or anything. And it very rarely is it a pure is it a theological difference really that causes the that causes the rift right if ever it is it is really more that like this theological party has aligned with this power that is in conflict already with this existing political power economic power yeah yeah i mean i mean that's really i think what it comes down to at the end of the day is that um it's a like a christopher hitchens kind of boogeyman that is is taken down in this in terms of of being against religion and that's uh not fair yeah i i what i would want to do maybe if i on a second rewatch is really pay attention to father paul and and what he does 
and his faith and his motivation. Because that was really intriguing throughout the course of this of it. But I think by the end, um, there's there's maybe not enough attention paid to him to really draw stuff out from from his character. So yeah. Yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, you want to sign us off? I will sign us off. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been an episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Ethan and Joe. And we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schumwolf, performed by Joe Schumwolf, Ian Oriola, and Paul Oriola, and produced by Paul Oriola. Email us at wtheckisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash disruptive disciples. On Twitter at wthisapastor. And on Patreon at patreon.com slash wthiap, where you can get access to pillow talk, signed cards, episode suggestions, and so much more. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, don't bring home anything you find in a cave on the road to Damascus. All right. Doing it.